Friends, a formal welcome to our fifth session of Journey of the Soul. It is a real treat and pleasure to have you here. I appreciate you being here with me, and we have a lot to get to. So, you know what's weird? As I'm here tonight, I, I get this feeling, maybe you're also getting this sense, I've got, I have this feeling that we've been here before. You ever get that sense? Because that was a joke. Like every week we're here in this, okay. Tonight's topic is reincarnation. Tonight's topic is reincarnation. They tell a story about a fellow, Jerry, get ready. They tell a story about a fellow who passes away and he goes up to heaven. Now, I I just, I, I probably should qualify this. All the jokes about heaven, please, this is not the Jewish understanding of heaven. Do not think I reversed position on this from last week to this week. All right, that's a disclaimer. We continue with the joke, or with the story, sorry. So a man passes away, he goes to heaven, and he is by the pearly gates, and the angels look at it, look him over, and they say, you know what, you've been such a great fellow, you did such a wonderful job, or you lived such a wonderful life. Um, it's truly amazing, you are going straight to heaven. And he goes to heaven, and there in heaven, as would be expected, there is a table right? A lavish table. It's set beautifully and he's expecting, he's expecting that on the table should be, you know, milk and honey and wine and maybe some caviar. He's expecting to be like a whole, a whole situation, right? A whole, a whole feast, a biblical feast. What happens? I mean, the caviar is, you know, I'm taking a little bit of artistic, artistic expression here. What happens? Instead, there's no food on the table. That's what he's expecting. There's a table, but there's no food. Um, and the angel that's in charge over there, that's hanging around, comes over to him at a certain point a few minutes later and says, oh, you look a little, little hungry. Let me, uh, let, me br- let me bring you some food. And he brings out two containers of Chinese food. Now, <laughs> I know everyone loves Chinese, right? So, so um, right, Reeves, you like Chinese? All right. Sure. So, so what happens? So um, the, the, the guy is, is very surprised. I mean, the, the person who passed away is very surprised. And he says to the minister angel, with, with all due respect, you know, I do love Chinese food. I mean, I'm Jewish, so I love Chinese food. But, but I was expecting something a little bit more biblical, like milk and honey and, or, you know, grapes, wine, something like that. What is the deal? What is the deal? Say hi and jump down. Say hi and jump down. Okay. Because not for now, because not, it's not for you. So what is the deal with, um, with this type of food, with, with the Chinese food, with, the ta- with, uh, with this food? So the angel responds, listen, listen, tonight or today is just you and me here in heaven. So I figured might as well we just do takeout. All right, that's the joke. Um, get- <laughs> Don't worry. All, like we said last week, all souls are ending up in heaven. There is quite the buffet. So last week, we looked at the Jewish understanding of the afterlife. And we explained That after the soul separates from the body, at death, it then journeys through a cleansing process, a purging process, through which the soul is cleansed and purged of any negative attachments. And we call that process Gehinnom, which other cultures are, you know, loosely translated as hell, but that's certainly not the way it's understood conceptually by other traditions. But this is the Jewish understanding. It's a cleansing process. And we said last week, when the cleansing process is indeed complete, it's finally, the soul is finally able to fully 
and holy completely experience its profound closeness with its source, with God, and we call that state of closeness. It's not a destination. It's not a location. The state of that relationship, we call that paradise or Gan Eden or heaven. We call that paradise, Gan Eden. That's the sense of closeness. So Gehinnom is the sense of the shame or the disappointment or whatever it is that then brings any negativity to the surface and then allows it to be washed away, as we said last week. And then it's able to fully experience its relationship with its source. That's heaven. So that's what we said last week. And you and I could very well think that that is indeed the end of the journey of the soul. The course is called Journey of the Soul. We might think that's it. We spoke about how the soul comes into the body. We spoke about life a little bit, you know, this, that life's here on earth. The moment of death, the transition, the cleansing process, and its destination in paradise. And that might be it. Perhaps we might think that is the end of the journey. The question, though, is, is that really the end of the journey of the soul? Does the soul ever experience life on earth again? In other words... What I'm asking is, does Judaism believe in, apologies, does Judaism believe in reincarnation? Is that a Jewish thing? It's not simply a philosophical discussion. Like, do we believe theoretically about reincarnation? It's not philosophical. It's very real and it's very practical. And let me explain why I'm saying that. You see, knowing where our soul may come from, and knowing perhaps why the soul has come back could share, potentially, profound insights into how we are meant to live our lives. Friends, it's not a theoretical question. Is there something called reincarnation? The question is practical. Are we perhaps reincarnated? If we are, where did we come from and why did we come back? And that holds profound lessons for, again, for how we live our life right now. And that's exactly what we're going to be exploring in tonight's session. I want to drop a bunch of questions that we are going to address tonight in tonight's class, just to give you kind of the scope and the range of the questions we're going to address in this lesson. We're going to address more than these questions, but here's a sample of the issues that we're going to address. Number one, is this our first time on earth? Number two, why would a soul... One second, Ray. I'm going to mute you one second because uh, just hold on for one second. Why would a soul be reincarnated in the first place? Well, what's wrong with staying in heaven? Um, number three, if reincarnation is real, if that is a thing, then are we able to remember past lives? And if not, why not? Number four, if we are reincarnated, then what happens to our soul being in paradise? Does that not happen? Is that put off, is that put on hold until some other lifetimes are lived? What happens with the soul experiencing that paradise and connection? Next question, number five, can a human soul be, be reincarnated in a non-human body form? These are some of the questions, five of the questions that we are going to address in tonight's incredible class. 
I'm very excited that you're here with me. As always, these topics will not be discussed from a theoretical perspective or from a philosophical perspective. It's being discussed completely from Jewish sources. If you're wondering, where does it say it? Every text has a source, and that's the source. It's well-sourced in Jewish thought, as well as Kabbalistic mystical thought. It's all there in the sources. Follow along as we go through. We're going to do a lot of texts, a lot of conversation. I'm very excited to study this with you, so let's begin. But before we jump into the next step, Ray, let me uh, ask you to unmute. Please jump in. one of your questions, but I was going to say that we we could be completing the rotation for someone else. We we could be completing a rotation another week, you know? Well, yes. Good. Yes, yes, yes. So is that a thing? Is that not a thing? Why is it a thing? How could it be a thing? Oh, we're going to address all, all sorts of issues related to that notion of kind of, you know, completing the cycle for, for another soul or another person. All right, good. Yes. All right, so let's now, let's kind of after the overall intro, let's start jumping into the topic. And I want to ask a question, and I would like you to, everyone, or if you want to add something, unmute or get ready to unmute. It's an open question, and it's, I really want to hear what you have to say about this. And I, I believe that there are going to be very different perspectives on this question. Here it is. It's a personal question. Do you personally like the idea of reincarnation? Or does it disturb you? I'm going to ask it again. Do you like the notion of reincarnation, whether your soul coming back again or your soul being the soul that's come back again? Do you like that? Do you like the concept of reincarnation or is it disturbing? Does it bother you? Jump in. Jump in. Who's got something to share? I want to find. I don't like it, but it doesn't bother doesn't disturb me. You don't like it? Oh, good, good. Tell me why you don't like it. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's articulate. I just like whatever is now should be done. So it's like one and done. Like, no, no, don't drag this out over. What is this, right? Like, what's the, what's the schlepping, right? Well, hopefully, I'll, whatever my mission is, I'll get it done while I'm here, and I would prefer not to come back. All right, I hear you. Okay. Um, all right. So it doesn't it doesn't disturb you? It doesn't bother you? But you're you're not you're not uh, head of the fan club of reincarnation. Okay. Good. Good. Fair enough. I like the idea. Richard, you like it? Yeah. Listen, my question was, do you like it? But I really meant to ask and then defend your answer. Tell me why. Why do you like it? chance to come back and do it right. I, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I think... Richard, I know you. You're perfect, man. What do you mean? <laughs> you're, my, you're my best fan. <laughs> Don't ask my wife. I think it'd be nice to have another, another shot at, at seeing all of my foibles, my flaws, which are very few, and, and, and try to correct them. Okay, so you want another shot at this. It's like you get up there, you're, you're playing Little League Baseball, and you get up there, and, you know, first inning, and you have a chance, and you swing, and you connect, but, you know, you don't get on base. You can't wait to get back out there, fourth inning, to get another at-bat to, uh, to drive the runners home. I hear you. Good. Okay. Good. All right. Uh, Mindy, what do you got? I think it, it could be disturbing to some people because it's so unknown. 
Okay. You just don't know. Like, we're, it's the fear of the unknown. Like, we don't know. It's not like anyone can come back and tell us about their experiences. It's just so unknown that I can see it being disturbing to some. Or maybe we, are, maybe we are back and telling each other our experiences without knowing. I'm just, no, I'm just, I'm just, okay, good. It's the fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. Okay, good, good. Uh, Justine, go ahead. Wait, hold on, hold on. Unmute. Ooh. Yeah, I hear you now. Yeah. Okay. You're talking about me? Oh, no, 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 not Sylvia. No, Justine. But I can't, Justine, I can't hear you. Um, Try again. Unmute. You're muted now. Try again. No. You have to write on cue cards and hold them up. That's the... <laughs> or you can write in the chat. You can write quickly in the chat and I'll read it. I'll make sure to read it. Um, Sylvia, you jumped in. Go ahead. Yes. I kind of like the idea of paradise and staying there. Okay. Because this way, everybody that I've known from this world will be here. I love that. Good. And, and, and I think your implication is that if everyone's like getting called from the bullpen, like, hey, you're back in, it's like, what, what's, what's going on? We were just hanging out. Party time. We're all together again. Okay, good. Um, let me take a quick look. If the antidote to the fear, so Justine is saying, if the antidote to the fear of dying unknown is living, then, then reincarnation is a good thing. In other words... If the whole issue is, not the whole issue, but if, if, a, if a big issue that we're dealing with is, is fear of death and not being, then coming back again would be a good thing, right? So it seems like, it seems like uh, not, not a bad thing. All right, good. Uh, who else would like to share? Donna, go ahead. Well, I agree with the fear of the unknown, and I also agree with the fact that, well, what I want to say is fear of getting into a more difficult life. Mm. If we have finished our mission and we right. have to come back and maybe life to be a lot harder. You're saying be careful what you wish for, right? Yeah, it may not be, it may not be, um, right. So what you're saying is I like, I like what you're saying, adding on to the unknown. It's so it's, it's, um, it's, I'd rather have the known, even if it's not perfect or maybe not great or whatever it is. I mean, not saying that it's not great, by the way, but I'd rather have what's known over what's not known, you know, because we can't assume that it's going to be, you know, amazing. What it, it may be very difficult. Okay, good. I, I that makes a lot of sense. I hear that. Um, who else? Mark, I see your hand is up. My biggest fear of death is I'm afraid that I'm going to be asked or be told, "I gave you so much. Why did you do so little?" So reincarnation would give me a chance to get some more done. Okay, that's good. Fair enough. So it's uh, multiplying opportunity. Good, excellent. Dixie. I have had the belief that uh, God has a contract with us and has an intention for us before we're even born. And um, if you don't fulfill whatever that is, the lessons that you're supposed to learn, then you do come back in another soul to complete those lessons. Okay, good, good. In other words, there's, some, there's a mission, there's an objective purpose, and uh, it's got to get it done. Excellent, good. 
Any, let's take maybe one more. Anybody else? Or we, or... We have a question here, Ari. Could you yeah. take a question? Sure. Hello. Hey. <laughs> I'm the caregiver. I was wondering that, you know, if I hope to see my grandmother again someday, and, well, if I'm reincarnated, someone else kind of said this, then am I a different self, a different person, and that I can't... Right experience that connection again excellent excellent question good yes yes so who are we if there are multiple incarnations right if we're being reincarnated there are multiple incarnations then who exactly are we does our identity become split how does that work how exactly does that work these are excellent questions i would and and really it's about understanding how we feel about it and focusing on that so let's continue with the conversation and now i want to introduce a pop quiz, right? I asked you to tell me how you feel about reincarnation, and now we're segueing straight into a pop quiz. And there's no, we have not established a basis of knowledge for you to answer this from a Jewish perspective, right? Because we haven't yet jumped into the text yet. But my intention is to ask how you feel about the subject and what your notion is, your gut notion about the subject. Is. All right, so here we go. I'm sharing my screen with you. Take a quick look. Take a quick look at the uh, screen. Do you guys see my screen with the page from the textbook? Do you guys see that? Okay. This is true or false. Um, uh, you know, it's a challenge here because I can't see everybody when I share my screen. Listen, this is only for you. I'm going to ask to raise your hand. I can't see you, which means I can't fact check you, which means I can't see how your beginning of the class idea and the end of the class changes, but you'll know for yourself. So I'm still gonna ask you to raise your hand. Here we go. True or false? Again, don't, we're not circling anything. This is just hand raise. Belief in reincarnation, number one, belief in reincarnation is basic to Judaism. If you believe that's true, raise your hand. Okay, if you do not believe, if you believe it's false, it's not basic to Judaism, raise your hand. Okay, fine, that's question one. Question number two, in the Jewish view, Reincarnation means that a soul that inhabited one body returns to inhabit another. That's the question. In the Jewish view, reincarnation means that a soul that has inhabited one body returns to inhabit another. Right? True or false? If it's true, raise your hand. If you believe it's true, raise your hand. If you believe it's false, raise your hand. Okay? All right, question three. Again, I can't see everybody. I can see like three people, but I asked, this is, you know, you're, you're going to check it out and, and, and you'll, you know, you'll see that. Next question. Question number three. A human soul can be reincarnated in a non-human entity such as an animal or plant. True or false? Can a human soul be reincarnated in non-human form? Raise your hand if you think that is true. Raise your hand if you think it's false. Okay. Question four. A reincarnated soul does not have its own identity, but shares its identity with someone who lived in a previous lifetime, a topic that just came up in our conversation together. Again, I'm going to read that one more time. It's a statement, true or false. A reincarnated soul does not have its own identity, but rather shares its identity with someone who lived in a previous lifetime. True or false? True. Raise your hand. Okay. False. Raise your hand. All right. Question five. The purpose of doing good in one's current lifetime is to be reincarnated as a person of 
higher status, which means that it's really about evolving and growing and becoming a higher status as we go along. Is that true? Raise your hand. Is that false? Raise your hand. Okay. Number six, a soul is reincarnated as a penalty for sins committed in a prior life. True or false? True, raise your hand. Reincarnation as punishment. False, raise your hand. Okay, last one. I know we've done a lot of hand raising. At least we're doing exercise while zooming. Last question. Last question is number seven. Most souls today are reincarnations. True or false? True, if you think it's true. False, if you think it's false. All right, thank you for taking this pop quiz. Most of you, I could not see your hands up or hands down, but I hope that you heard the questions, that you thought about the questions, and that you responded as to how you intuitively, naturally, or you think you believe, or whatever it is, the way you feel about the subject. This is all to kind of take your own temperature it's really not a quiz for anybody else. It's, uh, it's really not an assessment or, or a, it's not about anyone else. It's about yourself kind of thinking about, thinking about how you think about the notion of reincarnation. At the end of the class, we're going to come back to all seven questions. I'm going to ask them again and we'll see if the answers have shifted perhaps. Um, spoiler alert, the goal is that they're going to shift a lot. Now, I can't guarantee it because maybe you were right, you know, like with the, it's possible that you're, but there's a, there's a lot that Judaism says, a lot that Kabbalah says, stuff that I have never taught before, even in other classes on reincarnation. I'm very excited to go through tonight's topics step by step. So let's start at the beginning. I want to paint um, a picture, a comprehensive picture of the Jewish belief surrounding reincarnation. The first question is, is reincarnation a Jewish thing? The answer is yes. It's unequivocal. The answer is yes. That's the short answer. Now, the long answer is, it depends who you ask. And I know I just said it's unequivocal, but it also depends on who you ask because there were some Jewish philosophers back in the day who were a little bit hesitant about the whole reincarnation thing, but it's a really big topic to, to go through as to why there was that, um, uh, I, th that strain of thought, so to speak, within, within Jewish thought and, and how that's reconciled with the normative understanding about reincarnation. We're not, we don't have time to go into tonight. That's a pill pull. That's a whole elaborate conversation, you know, back and forth about different opinions and reconciliations. And I'll mention one in, in a few moments. But the simple answer, does Judaism believe in reincarnation? The simple answer, the most straightforward answer is yes. In fact, we find mainstream acceptance or belief in reincarnation in our Siddur, in the prayer books, in the prayer liturgy, that is recited each and every day, or actually specifically each and every night. I'm going to share my screen with you. Let's jump into the texts. Let's read text number one. I love this text. It's powerful. Donna Herbert, please read text one, page 176. Please unmute and jump right in. This is said, just, just to note, this is a prayer in the Siddurim, in the prayer books. It's said right before the Shema, the bedtime Shema prayer. All right, take it away. 
Master of the universe, I hereby forgive anyone who has angered or vexed me or sinned against me, either physically or financially, against my honor or anything else that is mine, whether accidentally or intentionally, inadvertently or deliberately, by speech or by deed, in this incarnation or in any other. Well, that just dropped a bomb there at the end. But, but first, let me explain the prayer. This is, I mean, the prayer itself is breathtaking. Every night before we go to sleep, we let go. I mean, isn't this psychologically incredible and emotionally incredible? Embedded in the Jewish way to live, every night before we go to sleep, we let go of angers and resentments, even if it's the other one drove you crazy, is driving you meshuggah, is bothering you unprovoked. It's not healthy to hold on to it. So at night, Ribono Shalola, Master of the Universe, I let go. I let go. It's not healthy for me to return my soul, partially to my Creator. When we go to sleep, we return a percentage of our soul to God. It's one-sixtieth of death, according to the Talmud. It's not healthy for me to return my soul in part and still be holding on to all these things with clenched fists. So we let go. But look at that last line. I forgive anybody who's harmed me this way, that way, the other way, and whether in this lifetime or in any other, whether in this incarnation or in a previous incarnation. That's huge. You know what that says? That says that Judaism takes for granted the notion of reincarnation. Yes, there is reincarnation. We're even forgiving those that harmed us in a previous lifetime. Are you with me on that? Every night we forgive those that may have perhaps harmed, angered, or vexed, I love that word, vexed us in, uh, in a previous lifetime. So yes, does Judaism believe in reincarnation? Is it a Jewish thing? Yeah, absolutely. It's right there in the prayer book. Fine. Yes, Adina Malka, go ahead. Yeah. And then it follows, um, let no man be punished on my account. Yes. Yes, yes, yeah. The continuation of the prayer is that we ask God that God not hold anything against anyone that's harmed us. In other words, we're letting go and we want Hashem, we want God to also let go and may no other person have any troubles on my account because of what they did to me. This is really, talk about like unilateral forgiveness. This is, this is big. It's really big. And it's not like once a year Yom Kippur. This is every night. I say this all the time. Judaism is so ahead of its time. Like just, health, just wellness wise, it's unbelievable what you'll find in Torah and the prayers. And it's, it's incredible. Back to our story about reincarnation, though. So we know now that reincarnation is a Jewish thing. But what exactly is this thing called reincarnation? Why would a soul be reincarnated? So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we are going to do. Um, does it refer to my incarnations or those of others? Mark is asking, when we say that we're forgiving those, anyone who vexed me in a previous incarnation, is it my incarnation or their incarnation? I would say both. Because if they harm me in a previous incarnation, it had to be them and it had to be me. If it was just them, it's not me. If it was just me, it's not them. So it would have to be the both of us, right? So that's, that would be the understanding of it. Back to our story. Why reincarnation? So yes, reincarnation, but why? And, and what? And, and how? And where? And Yeah, a lot of questions. 
What are the deets? Give me the details. We're going to primarily, as our source tonight, primarily explore Kabbalah, mystical, Jewish spiritual mystical wisdom, as espoused, as taught by the 16th century mystic, the Kabbalist, Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Luria, known also as the Arizal. He is one of the greatest Kabbalists that ever lived. He, his teachings of Kabbalah are called, based on his uh, name, Lurianic Kabbalah, Luria, Lurianic Kabbalah. And he writes extensively, or he taught extensively on Kabbalah. A quick note, the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, who lived in 1600s in Safed, Israel, and in other places, but he did not write down his teachings. His student wrote down his students, and primarily one student, Rabbi Chaim Vital, wrote down his teachings. So as you'll see in the text, the author is Rabbi Chaim Vital, but it's not Rabbi Vital's teachings. It's his teacher's teachings. It's coming from the Arizal. So it's all Lurian and Kabbalah, but you'll see a different name. That explains why. I hope that makes sense, what I just said. That's just clarification. Back to our story. The primary source, because it's so comprehensive, is... Rabbi Yitzhak Luria, the Ariza. But these ideas are in other areas of Kabbalah and Jewish thought, but these are really great texts to study because it's written in beautiful language that is hopefully very clear to understand. The Ariza takes a very revolutionary approach to reincarnation. In other words, he explains that Judaism, essentially, has a radical approach to reincarnation that uh, differs completely from every other philosophy, belief, um, understanding of reincarnation that exists um, in the world. Other religions, philosophies also talk about reincarnation. Jewish reincarnation, according to Kabbalah and, and Judaism, is completely different. In fact, right, here is my big idea for the moment. In fact, one might say that the Jewish philosophers who did not, who were not so keen on the notion of reincarnation, as I mentioned parenthetically before, perhaps we might say they were rejecting the idea of reincarnation as taught by other religions, philosophies, and cultures. Are you with me what I'm saying? When these philosophers said, no, 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 we Jews don't believe in reincarnation, were they rejecting the Jewish notion of reincarnation or the other notions of reincarnation that were out there without articulating the Jewish notion? It's possible it's the latter and there's Proofs for that, but again, we don't have time to get into that. That's still that sidebar discussion, which to me is fascinating, but it's going to take us too far off of today's class. So the Arizal teaches a radical approach to reincarnation. But first, before we understand it, we need to lay some foundation. We've got to lay some foundation. The first point of foundation is the notion of soul connections. This is huge. The idea that souls are connected I'm going to use the word generationally, although it's not exactly like parents' children, but souls are connected um, in very unique ways. So let me just say that and let's jump into the text. All right, I'm sharing my screen with you. If you have a book, open up the book. If you'd like to look at the screen, either way is good, either way is cool. Take a look at text number two. This is going to be heavy. All right, it's going to be amazing. Adina Malka, I see you, ready to go. If you don't mind, unmute. Let's jump in. I'm going to qualify the text, but let's first jump into it. we got to read this. It all began with one master soul, the soul of Adam, which included all future souls. Subsequently, 
this master soul passed on to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and was then divided among the twelve tribes. Afterward, the soul was partitioned among the seventy souls, the descendants of Jacob that accompanied him to Egypt, and eventually among the 600,000 souls who left Egypt. Thank you. Let me explain this. This is an explanation, but it also requires explanation and a few more pieces of information. I'm going to keep the, the, the reading up because you may still want to reference it and it makes it easy if it's right here on the screen. All right, let me explain a few things. Number one, number one, this is a Jewish mystical text speaking about the origin story of Jewish souls, i.e. souls that have a unique Jewish mission. So yes, obviously Adam and Eve are the master souls of all humanity, but this teaching kind of moves from Adam and even then zooms in on the Jewish story. So if you're wondering, what about other people, other souls? Yeah, obviously. But this is again zooming in on the Jewish story. That's number one. Number two, the intention of this text is to explain how you can go from one soul and then have hundreds of thousands of souls, right? You have one core Master soul. I like that term, master soul. It sounds cool. You have a master soul, right? And then it's divided into 12, and then into 70, and then into 600,000. I'm going to stop sharing because I want to do hand motions, and I feel like I want you to see my hand motions, okay? So in absence of like a chart and a thing, I'm just going to do hand motions. So you start off with one. It's not even that going to be that great, by the way. Don't like, no expectations here with the hand motions. All right, so you start off with one. Right? And then it branches, and then it branches, and then it branches. Think of a family tree, right? You have, um, at the top of the family tree, you have like a couple. And then you have, so that's like two. And then you have like, a, they, let's say they have four kids. Then you have like one, two, three, four, and then their spouses, and then their kids. And before you know it, boom, 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 it grows, right? You've, we've all seen family trees and how it expands like exponentially as the tree continues. Yes? Yes? So what Kabbalah's teaching is that souls, listen to this. This is a huge idea. If we miss this... We haven't laid the groundwork. We got, we got to get this idea. It's not that souls begin laterally. You understand what I just said? It's not like you have soul, 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 Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. What you have is one soul, which then divides into more, which then further divides into more, more, and more. Yes? Okay, good. Which means that there's an interconnectedness between souls in a very unique way. They're not parallel, but it's almost like one, I wouldn't say one soul births another, it's, that's not accurate, but it's one is considered to be like the stem or the root soul of a branch soul. That's not a bad analogy. So you have like, like a tree. You have roots and then a trunk and then you have branches and then branches from the branches and more branches that keep on going. So you have like, trunk souls or root souls, and then you have branch souls. So that's one piece of introduction. That's really important. Now, the next big idea is the following. And that is that every soul, every soul has a spiritual mission that it is intended or charged, called upon to fulfill. Again, every single soul has a mission that it is called upon to fulfill. Generally speaking, the spiritual mission is 
comprised of two primary elements. Doing mitzvot, doing good things, doing good deeds, and studying Torah. Right? From a Jewish perspective, these are the two major elements of our spiritual mission. It's about doing good deeds in the world and about connecting with spiritual wisdom. And here's the big idea. If the soul does not complete its mission, the elements of the soul, also known in Kabbalah as the soul sparks, the sparks of the soul that have not found completion are grafted into a new soul branch. And those new souls, right, or that new soul that has been grafted from the original soul sparks that have been left unfulfilled, so that new soul carries those unfulfilled soul sparks along with new soul sparks. Let's go to the text. If this sounds confusing, that's okay. We're going to look at it inside and hopefully get more clarity as we read the texts. So let's jump in. This is text number three. This is in the Arizal's words where we see this regarding mitzvot. Um, Dixie, please read text number three if you will. Don't forget to unmute. Yeah, you got it. Starting with furthermore. Furthermore, exactly. Okay. Furthermore, you must know that every person must fulfill all of the 613 mitzvot. If a soul does not fulfill all 613 mitzvot in action, in speech, thought, it must be reincarnated until it completes them all. Thank you. So look at what he's saying here. Again, this is all coming from the Rizal, same, same source. He says like this, that every soul has a mission, and every soul's mission is to complete the 613 mitzvot. So I want you to imagine. Imagine a single entity that is comprised of different... You know, think of this. Think of um, like a board on the wall with a bunch of light bulbs, right? And every time you do a mitzvah, every time you do a mitzvah, boom, the light is shining, right? The light, one, that one light of that one mitzvah is illuminated. And the goal is to light up all 613 lights. And what the Arizal is saying is, if by the end of our time here on earth, if we have missed some of those opportunities, if we've missed some of those mitzvah opportunities, right? So then, right, then the soul has the, those soul sparks. In other words, those elements of the soul's mission are then grafted into a new soul, which then carries on that mission as well as its own mission or a larger or, or another mission in addition to that. So this is true for all of the souls. Every soul has an opportunity to complete its mission as well as the larger mission of, of perfecting the world, making the world a better place by doing all the good deeds. If a soul has not yet fulfilled its potential and, and been fully lit up, so to speak, right? Achieving its potential, if it's left anything behind, then that's where reincarnation comes in and the need is, a positive need, to not leave that potential untapped 
so that these, the, these soul sparks are rolled into a new soul, which then carries those unfulfilled sparks as well as additional sparks of its, uh, of its own unique new mission. The same is true with Torah study as we find in the next text. I'm going to pause for questions. I, th I think some folks have questions. I'm going to pause in a moment, but I, I just want to get through this because if we don't get a clear picture, it's going to be way too scattered. Text number four, let's continue inside. Um, Joy, Dr. Maxi, please jump in. Text number four. You should also realize that each individual must study all four of the Torah's layers which are referred to by their acronym Pardes or Orchard. These are Peshat, Ramez, Darush, and Sod. Literal, illusion, exegetic, and mystical. It is necessary for a soul to be reincarnated repeatedly until it completes them all. Thank you. So now we have the second half of, of our mission. The first half was good deeds. Right, So we all need to do all the good deeds and light up that potential, so to speak, in my example of a light bulb, to refine or to fulfill all of those soul sparks. And if not, they're rolled into a new soul. And if, and if we haven't finished gaining the wisdom that we're intended to gain by studying the Torah on all four of its levels, it's a multi-level not multi-level marketing. It's a multi-level study experience, right? So if we do, so, so, and that's our job is to gain wisdom on all the dimensions. If we haven't gained all that wisdom, so there's some potential sparks in the language of Kabbalah that are left unfulfilled, unrealized, right? It's like there's, we're, we're, we're leaving something on, uh, on the field. We, we, left, we left potential there. So that rolls into that is what we call reincarnation. It's given, there's a chance given for that to be completed and for that to be achieved, which tells us, and I'm going to pause. I know there are some questions, but I'm going to, I'll pause in a moment, but let me just wrap up this, this little section. This tells us something very profound. Number one, each soul has a mission to complete. Number two, each soul has itself to refine as well as a piece of the world to refine. Every soul has its connection with God to maximize. And when the soul doesn't completely finish its mission, when there's some unfinished business, those unfulfilled sparks of the soul are reincarnated into a newly grafted branch soul. Going back to the first text that we saw from the Rizal, how one soul can be branched off into another soul and another soul, etc. That's when the soul sparks have not been fulfilled or completed. It's then grafted into a new soul, which carries over the unrealized potential and gains additional points of mission. In simple terms, and I, I hate to reduce this to numbers, but it may, maybe it'll make it easier if we really like drill it down into something very tangible. So let's say out of the 613 mitzvot, a person did 500, right? Throughout their lifetime, they, fill, they, they did 500. 500, nicely done, completed, where we can say, yeah, that's shining. That area, that good deed, that experience, that person had, and it shines. But 113, not, not exactly. All right. So those 113 sparks would then be 
grafted into a newly formed soul that branches off that has also another 500 sparks, totaling once again 613. Are you with me on what I just said? The second soul also has all 613 mitzvot to do. But, and here's the kicker, the most critical for this newly grafted soul, i.e. soul number two, the most critical mitzvot to do, you guessed it, are those 113. Does that make sense what I just said? In other words, no. Okay, some, some are saying yes, some are saying no. All right, I'll take it. Listen, if I get 500 out of 613 understanding in tonight's class, that's also okay. At least I'm batting like, I don't know, 750, even more than Ted Williams. All right, uh, I could be off with the ratios, but here we go. Let me just recycle this thought for a second. Let me go back. So again, soul has original soul, right? OG soul. 613 experiences to have. Completed 500. All right, time's up. 113 are now rolled into a new soul that also has 613 mitzvot to do because everyone has good deeds to do. So it's not like, oh, I'm off the hook. No, the new soul also has a full experience to take care of. But, and here's the important thing. Here's the very important thing. The most critical components of that new soul's mission are the 113 areas that in the previous incarnation that that soul, again, it's not the same soul, but it's, it's a, um, inspired by that soul, that inspiration soul did not fulfill. Those are the most important elements of the mission. I'm going to pause because I know there are a lot of questions. I'm going to pause and let's take a few questions. Jump in. Who's got questions? How do I become a Kohen? Oh, say it again. How do you become a Kohen? Yeah. Good question. Lazy. Good. Lazy. Isn't that nice that we have reincarnation, right? Isn't that, that's exactly. I have to. That's, in other words, what you're saying is support to this notion. No person in one lifetime could ever do all 613. You know why? Because some are only applicable to Kohanim. Some are only applicable to priests. Some are only applicable to Levites. Some are only applicable to Israelites. Some are only applicable to men. Some are only applicable to women. Some are, so it's impossible for one. You have to come back. Yeah, but, but, but hold on, but one second, as we'll see soon, clearly in the Arizal, in text six, soon, it's not the soul that comes back. It's the untapped potential of the soul that then rolls into a newly formed branch soul that then carries, again, that has its own mission, but also carries as a primary focus that which was not yet done in the previous one. And every incarnation, that number goes down. Does that make sense? So if it's 113 left, so then after that, it's 63 left. And after that, it's... Uh, 27 left, and after that, maybe it's five left, and then eventually it gets done. I hope that makes sense. All right, more questions or comments? Yeah, Mike. So this may be the question of the simple son, but why, why, first of all, why are we tasked with the impossible? That is, each of us cannot perform, we, we may not be able to perform 613. The second is, why, the simple son speaking, does it have to be so complicated? Why can we not be here longer to complete the mission of the soul assigned to us? Excellent. Both are, I, I, 
I wouldn't say simple. I think both are excellent questions and they're, 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 they're straight to the point, right? They, they cut at the heart of this entire conversation. So let, let me address one at a time and hopefully the, you know, what I'm saying will be, will, will be satisfactory. Um, okay, number one, number one. Your question is, why does it seem like the mission is like out of touch or out of reach? Why, why, such, why so ambitious? So simply, the way Kabbalah explains it, it's not about ambitious or not ambitious. This is the architecture of creation. In other words, objectively in the fabric of existence, there are certain elements that each soul is meant to experience and touch. And ambitious, not ambitious, I don't know. It's, these are experiences that the soul, in order to have its most full experience, right, ought to touch. It's almost like La Havdil. I want to give like a simple example. Let's say you go to San Francisco on vacation. Well, nice place, Golden Gate Bridge. There's a, a pier or maybe a wharf. I don't remember. I went there a few, like some years ago, right? There's all this, yeah, you check out the stuff. And there's that street, right? Lombard or Lombardi or something. The trophy, I'm kidding, right? Lombard Street. You know the one? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, all right. I, I, you guys just like watching my hand do this. So here's the point. So you're like, okay, I have a checklist of like the things that you, like you gotta see. You go to San Francisco, you gotta see this. You gotta catch a 49ers game. You gotta catch a, um, uh, a Giants game. But sometimes in one trip, in one season, you won't be able to do everything because either it's summer or it's winter or it's fall or it's, and you won't be able to do it. So is that a negative? Is that, oh, I can't believe you did it. No, there's no judgment. It's you couldn't. Right? Because you were there in one context. You were there in one setting. But did you get the full experience? No. So you know what? You might say, I love this experience, but I want to see the whole thing. I'd love to make another trip, another vacation to San Francisco at another time. So I think we have to start looking at this less judgy. It's not like God is saying, oh, you didn't do that. Mm, shame on you. I guess you're going to have to come back or whatever it is. It's not a judgment. It's not a negative thing. On the contrary, it's like these are ideal um, experiences to have. And God is gifting the soul, but not the, the original soul, but God is gifting all of us with the opportunity on some level to have all the experiences, which I think is a beautiful way to look at it. Now, your second question, which is really good also, is, well, then why don't we just have enough time to do it? And this, I think the simple, I, I don't know, simple, I think the answer for that is, at least my, my understanding is, is that um, there are certain things that we simply won't be able to do, no matter how, how long we have, and certain things that we've demonstrated with the, just, which is the way things rolled out with, with our lives, that practically speaking, it's not going to happen. So at some point, it, it, just, it is what it is. And again, it's not a judgment. It's just, it is what it is, and, and, and that's time. And sometimes we might feel that the time has cut, been cut short. And somebody, who, certainly, who's taken at a young age, um, God forbid, uh, certainly we could say that why didn't they have more chance and more opportunities? That touches on the mystery, larger mysteries that I could never give, a, give an answer for. That's... that's that's on the other side. That's knowledge from the other side. And that's, uh, that's only God's knowledge. That's not even Kabbalistic knowledge. That's God's knowledge. So I, I could never respond to that element of the question. But again, the two points are that, number one, these are ideal experiences and spiritual experiences that the soul ought to have, ought to enjoy, number one. And number two is that simply it's either not possible or sometimes the soul, just the context is, 
it's realistically not, not going to get there. And so that's when um, reincarnation happens. I'm not saying that's when a person's life is taken, because again, that's playing God, and I'm, I'm not, I, I can't speak for God. Um, but yeah. All right, so let's jump in. I hope that makes sense. Let's go into. Could I, could I ask? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Does that mean that a woman's soul could be reincarnated into a man because she couldn't? Yeah, absolutely. For yeah. sure. And yeah. Also, and also, then that's the is it also the limit of Jewish people are only six hundred thousand or that was just an example? No, 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 no. So great question. So it's no, no. It's not that the limit of souls is six hundred thousand. On the contrary, six hundred thousand represents the next tier after which it expands exponentially. Right. In other words, you have one, which is then twelve, which is then seventy, which is then six hundred thousand, and then after that we lost count. Right after that, it just keeps on expanding and growing. And you have all sorts of admixtures of souls and souls coming in and souls going out. It's very, it's, it's, there's certainly not a, not a predictable, straightforward way that this happens. But the essential point is that there is a, there is a method by which a soul is given an opportunity to have a full experience, the full bandwidth of spiritual touch points, which I think is really beautiful. If we look at it less of a, not less, it's not at all, oh, punishment, you know, go back to detention or go back, you know, maybe maybe we're thinking of it as school, like we got to do third grade again. No, that's not what it is. It's an opportunity to enrich the soul's experience, but it's not the full soul. Again, that's a, as we'll see in text six, it's only the sparks that were left untouched have an opportunity to have those touch points in a newly grafted soul. Um, and there we see that, that, that God had a plan when he said Peru or, or Vu or Taaret. Yeah, there's a plan and there's a method by which this happens that's outside of our, uh, necessarily outside of our knowledge. Um, I saw, yeah, Alex, go ahead. On, on the subject of uh, reincarnation of the soul, um, let's say in Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Luria, um, describes, I think he was a reincarnation of, of, of a particular sage. Yeah. Um, and, and does, but can you elaborate on what that really means? Because if you're only reincarnation of certain sparks of that, um, of that sage, then you're not, the sage is not really a fully reincarnation. It's just a few sparks of that sage that that uh, who, that where the mitzvot were not fulfilled. Excellent. Although if that sage was a tzaddik, then all the sparks that were meant to be fulfilled were already, in essence, Excellent. fulfilled. So what what aspects of that sage uh, of Rabbi Luria um, then then did reincarnate? You're asking an excellent question or excellent questions. We will address it in today's class when we talk about. Um, variations of reincarnation. There is a normative or a classic form of reincarnation, and then there are variations. This would be a variation, which is tremendously important. But hold that thought. I guarantee you we will talk about this. Which, was the, which is the variation? Um, when a tzaddik soul comes back in another tzaddik or to assist another tzaddik, which is what your question is. 
Right, when the Arizal says that he is channeling the soul of another tzaddik, that is not the reincarnation that we're talking about now. We're speaking of the classic form of reincarnation is when there's potential that's unfulfilled, when there's lights that haven't been turned on yet, when there's more experiences to happen, the soul, those experiences that have been unfulfilled have a chance to roll into a new soul and to have those fulfilled. That is not the same as what the Arizal said, about his own soul being reincarnated from another tzaddik. That's a different form, which we will talk about, guaranteed, momentarily. Um, Ray, go ahead. Um, was I not told at some point that when a young person passes away, it means that only that amount of time was needed to complete a rotation? That is what some have said. I cannot tell you there is... What we're studying tonight is a framework, a Jewish and Kabbalistic framework about reincarnation. You're asking about a specific situation that might happen with a specific person in a specific family. Does that mean that that child passed away, God forbid, because of X, Y, and Z? I do not have that information or that insight to be able to say that based on what I've learned, this is what happened in this situation. That is a major jump from a conceptual framework of understanding how things work to applying it to a specific situation. So I would never be, be so bold as to pronounce that definitively or even honestly suggest it um, in, in a way that was uh, diminishing the, uh, the loss. Now, if, if it's something that could be helpful, that's another conversation which really gets back to our question about mourning and grieving and how we perspectives can help with that, that's another conversation. But your question is, when a young person passed away, does that mean that they were a reincarnated soul, only had, let's say, five sparks to, to, to touch? When those sparks are done, that means they can go. Maybe. Maybe. Conceptually, there's room for that to understand that, but practically to say that that's exactly what happened in this case requires a vision of souls that I do not have and I cannot comment on. And I would believe that most of us, even those people that are saying that, don't have that vision. If the Arizal said it, that's one thing. A Tzaddik says it, a Kabbalist says it, that's another conversation. But to take these ideas and then to tell someone, this is what happened, because I studied this, that's already an app, uh, uh, a, little bit, a little bit next, next level. Um, I hope that makes sense what I'm saying. And I hope I'm not being inconsistent in presenting an idea and then saying we have to be careful in how we um, proclaim it. But I, I, I do believe, I, I believe that that is an understandable distinction, and I hope it's coming through um, on that level. So, uh, Mindy, go ahead. Um, so it's all partial souls. They're all partial that are reincarnated. Yeah. You're saying 500 sparks and there's 113 left, and that's partial and partial and partial and partial. So it's not like one whole soul is reincarnated to another whole being. It's all partial. Correct. Partial. Correct. But, but it's important to remember that the part that is rolled in is rolled into a full soul. That's the important part, right? The, the 113 sparks in my example that are then rolled in are grafted, branched off into a new soul that is complete with 613 lights ready to be lit, ready to be turned on, right? That's the point, right? It's a brand new soul that carries an a weighted mission toward those 113, Right, but it has a full scope and a full identity on its own. I hope that that is, this... made up, is one full soul made up of multiple partials or just 
Um, I don't know. I don't believe that it talks about um, multiple parts from multiple soul roots being branched into one uh, um, uh, branch soul. I, I'm I, that's a that's a. I'm not sure. I can't say either way. I, my understanding is that it's kind of one going into one into a new soul. I, I it's theoretically possible, but it would seem like a one to one type of thing. All right, let's take two more questions. Adina Malka, go ahead. So we have this new branch soul, yeah. 613 sparks. Yes. But it's, it, what's rolled onto it is this 113, you know, unfulfilled sparks. Well, maybe that's too much of a burden for this other soul. Maybe it's given, you know, 113 sparks that it just can't light. Maybe it makes darker, as a matter of fact. And, and you're, but you're saying the same 113 that didn't get done the first time are going to be the same 113 that are not going to done this time. The odds of that are it's possible, but it's I think it's likely that this new soul will hit some of those, but maybe not all of them. But through a process of further reincarnation, right? So that can ultimately that number is reduced and all of those experiences are had ultimately. That's the goal. Last question. Let's do, Dixie, I know you have a question. Last question, Richard, and then we'll have more opportunities for questions, but we still have a, a ton to get to. I, I, I think this is Mindy's question. I think you answered it. I just want to clarify. We, we never roll back into the original soul. We're always split. It's always kind of schizophrenic. Is, is it, we're never, the soul I have today will never uh, regroup as one. It'll always split up into other branches and other branches. Will it ever come back and congeal one soul that I know right now, or is it always going to be split and, and be grafted into other souls and other souls? You and I are one soul right now. We are not a split soul. We are one soul. Right, right, but we've not complete. I, I, let's say, let's say, I, I don't know if you disagree with me, but I've not completely. No, no, once I was, hold on one second, one second. Let, let me just answer the question. Because, so you're asking, I, I, I'm taking the position, let's say I have a reincarnated soul, which by the way, I do, we all have reincarnated souls. So let's say my soul is reincarnated, which means that my soul has 113 sparks from, uh, from Yanko, right? From a, previous, from a previous thing. So your question is, does that mean that I'm schizophrenic? I have 113 of Yanko's and 500 of my own. No, I have 613 of mine. It's one new soul. It's one new soul that when I do these specific mitzvot, it affects not only me, but it goes back and affects the previous soul. It completes the larger picture, right? Every puzzle piece is its own piece, but it also contributes to the larger picture. So it's not a schizophrenic soul. It's not that my soul is divided. It's not like I have a split, split personality. Some of me and some of them. It's all me. But part of me also speaks to a larger, to a larger piece. All right. All right. So let's, let's move. I know, I know there are more questions, and I, and I, I want to get to everything. But, 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 but we have to continue our conversation. And I think as we advance more texts, as we advance it, so I think that it's going to become a little bit clearer as to what the ideas are here. Let's quickly reset the three big ideas that we've shared thus far. Number one, souls are interconnected like roots and branches. Number two, each soul has a spiritual mission comprised, generally speaking, Torah study, wisdom, and uh, spiritual wisdom, and spiritual practice. Number three, when a soul does not complete its mission, i.e. there's some soul sparks, some sparks 
of spirituality that it hasn't yet lit up or completed, that is bequeathed, if you will, to a new branch soul that is its own soul. It's not a split soul. It's its own soul, right? Just like a child from a parent. Oh, so it's a split personality. Some of the mother, some of the father. No, it's a, it's a child. It's a human being, right? So just as it is physically, so too it is spiritually. We have our own soul, but there is influence or there is, um, there is a history, certainly to parts of that soul. So these are the three ideas we've shared thus far. Um, and now we're able to go deeper in this concept. And I think a lot of the questions may be addressed or answered because the Arizal will clarify a critical truth about reincarnation. This will be text number six. We're skipping the fives, 5A, 5B. Don't worry, you're in good hands. Text number six. This deals with soul recycling. I am going to read this text. All right, it's on page 182. Here we go. Although we've stated, says the Harizo, in numerous passages of this treatise, that a specific individual soul was reincarnated in a particular person, and it was subsequently re-reincarnated in another specific individual and so on, listen to this. Do not misread this as implying that the original soul itself is reincarnated repeatedly. Rather, each human soul branches out into innumerable roots. Every root contains an infinite quantity of soul sparks. With each subsequent reincarnation, a number of these sparks are rectified and they ascend to enjoy the rewards of heaven and dwell in the particular strata of Gan Eden that are appropriate for them. However, those soul sparks that were not rectified are reincarnated to provide further opportunity for rectification. Each soul spark that we touch, that we hit, that we perfect, that we complete, that we fulfill, whatever you want to call it, that we light up, whatever word you want to use, however you want to imagine it. Every soul spark, every spiritual opportunity that we engage in, right, that we partake in, that represents our paradise. That represents a connection that our soul has with God. And those opportunities that we didn't take, that we didn't avail ourselves of, those opportunities, again, have another shot to be fulfilled in a reincarnated soul, in a new soul that is grafted off of that. Which tells us that, that, that reincarnation, and this is a key idea, in the Jewish understanding, reincarnation is not soul recycling. It's not a recycling of souls where you have the same soul. Oh, sorry, let me stop sharing so that we can all see each other. It's not the same soul going into one container body, and then another container, another body, and then another container, another body. This is the Eastern understanding or other understandings of reincarnation. Same soul, different bodies. That is not at all the Jewish understanding. Reincarnation, known in Hebrew as Gilgul. Gilgul means a rolling over. Gilgul is like rolling over or carrying forward of those unfulfilled sparks from the one soul into the next. In other words, reincarnation is the process by which a new soul is grafted and generated from the part of an old soul that wasn't fulfilled in order to give it the opportunity to find that fulfillment. This is a tremendous blessing for the soul. Right? So, let's break this down even further. So, a person lives their life, and, and, I, and we're going to get a little bit detailed here, and I think this is going to help maybe address some of the questions. So, a person lives their life, 
and they do a lot of good deeds, they study a lot of wisdom, and then they pass away. So all of the completed soul sparks, all of those spiritual experiences that were achieved, that were touched, that were enjoyed, all of that are in a pure place, return to the source, and are ex ex um, have that experience of connection to the source because they comprise the soul's identity and experiences spiritually with God. The remaining soul sparks that were not fulfilled fall into one of two categories. Again, we spoke generally, the numbers that I used were 500 achieved, 113 not yet achieved. But those 113 fall into one of two categories. This is where we get more specific than what we said before. All right? Number one, there are unrectified soul sparks that result from a mitzvah, for example, not being done, or maybe a part of Torah not being studied. I gave the example before of 613. Talk about Torah and the four dimensions of Torah study. There's a lot more sparks than 613 because that's only the performance of the mitzvot. There are many other experiences that could or might not be fulfilled. But we're, let's stick with the number. So it could be that those 113 or some of those 113 are simply mitzvot that we haven't had the opportunity to do or do in a, in a complete way. But then there's another category, right? Um, oh, and by the way, and those soul sparks of those unfulfilled opportunities and mitzvot opportunities are rolled into a new soul that's grafted from this. But there are also sparks that might be damaged by our negative actions. You see, it's one thing to not light up one of the sparks, but it's another to break a light bulb, so to speak, to, um, to harm through negative action, not just inaction or failed, you know, not picking up an opportunity, but through negative actions, through negative choices to actually harm or, I don't know what the right word is, misappropriate one of these soul sparks. So, what happens with those? So that damage, right, through our actions that are, you know, not the greatest actions. So those, that damage is repaired either in one of two ways. Either through the process of Gehinnom, which we spoke about last week and earlier tonight. The process of the, um, uh, the what's it called again? The, um, the purgatory purging and cleansing of one's uh, misdeeds. That's one way that we can cleanse or, so to speak, uh, deal with not just missed opportunities, but negative actions. The second way is through reincarnation. The soul sparks that might be damaged through negative actions, they can also be rolled into a new soul that then has an opportunity to treat those soul sparks in the proper way as opposed to the negative way. So those soul sparks that do not need rectifying, let's say in this example, the 500 soul sparks that are that are perfect and complete, that, are, that have been achieved, they do not need to be regenerated into a new soul. They are good and they are, they, they, they are where they need to be. But the soul sparks that still need rectifying are generated, regenerated into a new soul that has a full mission, all 613 mitzvot to do, all four layers of Torah study to do as well. But, and this is very important, the primary mission, I said this before, the primary mission of this new branch soul is the rectification of those reincarnated soul sparks, which means those 100, in the example, 113 areas that the previous incarnation did not fulfill. So if it fulfills those, six, those 113, but misses some of the new 500, the additional 500, 
it does not need to be reincarnated for those 500. Does that make sense what I just said? Yes? So it should do all the mitzvot, but what would cause it to be further reincarnated? Because remember, it's on a branch. It's on a line. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It's on a certain branch already. It's not all parallel souls. It's a branch. So since at the core of the branch, since at the core of the branch, um, 500 were already done, so this new branch, right, the core stem, this new branch has new opportunities and some old opportunities, but the new opportunities, if it fails to do them, it doesn't cause it to branch off again. What will cause it to branch off again is only if some of those missing sparks or unfulfilled sparks remain still unfulfilled after this new incarnation. So as long as the new soul rectifies those sparks that are the residual sparks from before, even if some of the others, the new ones, aren't fulfilled, there's no need for further reincarnation. All right, I hope this makes sense. And what we're going to do now is go into some alternative forms of reincarnation, which, again, my goal here is twofold. Number one, to teach information that otherwise we might not know. That's, that's primary goal number one. Number two, in the process, I believe that a lot of the questions that have come up up until now will be addressed from this new information. So, I got you. I, Mark, I got you. I got you more than you know. We're going to go through some more information. And if, you, if I still don't have you, we can talk about some questions. But let's continue to further explore some variations of reincarnation, which will help us understand the larger picture. So... Reincarnation, as we've said so far, is to rectify unfulfilled sparks via a newly generated branch soul, but that's the general form of reincarnation. There are variations, and we're going to mention two really important, really important variations. Okay, here we go. Number one, partial reincarnation. Okay, let me say that again. Partial reincarnation. See, we've been talking about partial sparks being reincarnated or generated into a brand new soul, but that's a whole soul that's being reincarnated or that's being generated. But this variation is not a whole soul being generated, new soul, rather partial reincarnation. Let me explain. Sometimes, instead of these unfulfilled sparks generating a brand new soul to roll into, they instead, listen to this, they append themselves to an existing adult soul. Are you with me on this? Yes, 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 no? All right, I'm going to say it one more time. There's two ways that you might not. Either like this sounds unbelievable or I just don't understand what you're saying. But let me say this again, one more time. Sometimes, instead of these unfulfilled sparks triggering and generating a brand new soul that then contains these sparks in others, Instead of that new birth of a new soul, these sparks that were unfulfilled will just attach themselves to an existing person. Instead of being part of a new soul that's then born into a baby into this world, these sparks from a person who passes away will then attach themselves to an existing adult soul appending this very important mission that's yet been unfulfilled, that's yet been fulfilled to this already existing person. We call this in Kabbalah Ibur. Ibur means pregnancy. You know what pregnancy means? 
Well, in this context, what it means is, what it's alluding to is the fact that one person is hosting another person. So one soul can now host the mission, the unfulfilled mission of another soul (coughs) that suddenly comes to it and appends itself to it. Yes? Yes? Ish? Yes, ish? I'm not asking you to agree with it or to fully understand. I'm just asking what I'm saying if, those, if the words actually make sense. I'm hoping the words make sense. Let's, uh, let's understand this. This is how the Arizal teaches it. Let's take a look at text 7a. Soul impregnation. Yep, here we go. Text 7a. The concept of Gilgul reincarnation is that a soul requiring further rectification enters the body of a child, this is the typical understanding, enters the body of a child as it emerges from its mother's womb to serve as the newborn son. Newly grafted, newly generated grafted soul carrying some previously unrectified soul sparks but generating a new soul in a newborn child. It has no, listen to this, it has no permission to leave that individual until the person's destined day of death. By contrast, the concept of Ebor, soul impregnation, is that a soul enters, or soul sparks, unfulfilled soul sparks, enters an adult body that is already inhabited by a soul, the person's primary soul received at birth. In this case, the individual is merely impregnated, so to speak, with a guest soul in addition to harboring a primary soul. The individual then carries the extra soul, much as a woman carries a child in her womb. And the implication is it's not until they pass away. I mean, it could be, but it doesn't have to be. So you're probably wondering, well, what will determine whether this is the unfulfilled soul sparks generate a brand new soul or whether it just depends to an existing soul? Is anybody wondering that question? What determines which way it's going to go? I hope you're wondering because that means that we're all on the same page here. I hope that's the question, right? We've talked about two forms of reincarnation. In general, reincarnation means, right, unfulfilled soul sparks coming into a new soul that's generated with that mission, the potential to fulfill it. Wonderful. But sometimes, instead of generating a new soul, it just depends itself to an existing soul. How, when, what, where. Simple idea. Simple distinction between these two scenarios. Here we go. In the classic case of reincarnation, It's when a person, when the original soul, the original person, missed mitzvah opportunities that they had an opportunity to do. Are you with me? They had the chance. They had multiple chances. And didn't do it. So then it generates into a new soul, and that's how it's done. But sometimes, due to no fault of its own, a person, a soul, doesn't have the opportunity to do a mitzvah. It's not possible. Kohen, Levi, Yisrael. Man, woman. Sometimes uh, the soul, the person, it's impossible to do that mitzvah. It just can't. There's no way that it could have happened. In that case, it doesn't need to generate a new soul. All it needs to do, these sparks that are unfulfilled, just attach itself to someone who can do that And it then leverages that person in their context to fulfill the unfulfilled sparks of that original soul. Does that make sense? 
In other words, keeping it very simple, a Kohen and an Israelite, a Kohen soul might be an Ibor, right? Might append itself to an Israelite soul because due to no fault of its own, the Kohen couldn't do the other stuff, right? So therefore, it just needs that impregnation, so to speak, to attach itself to that soul, that second soul, and, 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 and connect and almost not live vicariously, but connect with it in its experience. And when that is lit up, it can then go away. Does that make sense? Yes? Yes. yes. All right. I hope it makes sense. So again, if, if there was an opportunity and it was missed, then that unfulfilled missed opportunity soul spark would generate a new soul. If it was due to no fault of its own, if it couldn't have done it, that's when, that's when it's appended to, a, to another soul. Let me share my screen with you and we're going to jump into 7B. Hold on one second. One, hold on one second, one second. Let, let's read this. Let's read this. A soul, oh, and, and one second. And there's a second reason. Hold on, before I share, there's a second reason why the soul of the Ebro would happen, the pregnancy, the, appendic, the appendage soul would happen. And that is going back to what Alex asked before. Alex, remember you asked before about the Arizal, a tzaddik soul. Why would a tzaddik soul ever need to be reincarnated into another soul? What's up with that? Simple, simple answer. Sometimes a soul is appended to another soul, not because it was unfulfilled at all. Not even due to an accident or due to nothing of its own fault. It's nothing needed to be fulfilled. It, it completely fulfilled its mission. It's simply appending itself to another soul in order to give it additional energy and vitality and a boost. In other words, it's not doing it for its own benefit. It's doing it for the benefit of the other. It's like a battery pack, a power pack. Yeah, attached to the original soul or to that other soul that's giving it a special boost of energy. Now we can read text 7b. I'm going to read it straight through. A soul experiences Ibor. Ibor is the soul impregnation for one of two reasons. A, this is coming from Rabbi Chaim Vital. The impregnated soul comes to an individual for its own sake. Right, that's the first option. In, a previous, in its previous life, it failed to perform a particular mitzvah and was therefore left lacking. But this was the kind of mitzvah that was impossible to perform under the conditions of that lifetime. Such as the mitzvah of Yibam, Chalitz, and the like. I'm not going to get into these mitzvot. Just understand that it's not possible for everyone to do it. So therefore, if it was not possible for that soul to do it, it's not considered to be a blemish. Or it's not even considered, I said before, not to judge. It's not even ever a blemish. But it's not even a lacking that was possible to not have been lacking. It's not even, it wasn't even possible. So in that case, it's therefore not obligated to engage in a full-scale incarnation, as we described earlier, for soul impregnation is sufficient. All it needs to do is have those opportunities. So boom, pop that, those sparks into a soul that's in that context that it could do those mitzvot, and it goes along for the ride. It lights it up, and it's out. It's in, it's out, boom. That's one reason for soul impregnation. And like I told you a moment ago, B, the impregnated soul comes solely to assist an individual. In other words, it's not about itself or any unfulfilled, anything that, that was not done. Rather, it's completed for the benefit of that new soul, or not new soul, but that other soul that it is now appending itself to. So the impregnated soul comes solely to assist the other individual, to bring a person additional merit, or to guide an individual in matters of Torah and mitzvot. In this case, the impregnated soul lacks nothing for itself. I've given you now. I've given you now 
classic case of reincarnation, as well as the variation and two rationales for the variation. Classic reincarnation is unfulfilled soul sparks, generate a new soul that has those soul sparks and additional ones, and that person lives their life and hopefully gets the job done. Alternative case of, of reincarnation is not a whole new soul that's generated. Rather, these sparks, boom, are just plugged into a new, to, to an existing soul, either because it was due to no fault of its own that it couldn't have done those, that it didn't do those before, or to benefit, to power the second soul in a, to uplift it in, in a higher way. One more variation, and this is a big one, and that is, can a human soul come back in a non-human form? The answer is Yes. The answer is yes, but the question is why? How in the world would it make sense based on everything that we know in this course, in this class, about God, about Judaism, about God loving us, why in the world would God send a human soul into an animal or a plant or a rock where it could not function and complete its mission? If the whole point of reincarnation is to... Right, should I articulate the question or you understand the question already? If the whole purpose of reincarnation is to light up those lights, how could it do that if it's a plant? So here's the answer. And now I need to share with you one piece of information that I didn't share before. How many chances does the soul have? Three. Correct. The original soul and three reincarnations. It's got three chances. So those 113, original soul did 500 out of 113. 113 left. How many chances? Three more chances. Knock it down to 70, 30, and knock it out. If any soul sparks remain after that, in a way, after, the caveat here is, the disclaimer is, in a way that they weren't even progressed at all. So if there's been some progress made, even if it's not fully lit, you know, imagine light on a dimmer. If it's even a little bit lit, it has more opportunities. But if it's completely dark, it hasn't touched it at all after four times the original plus three more, at that point, it's not sent back down again into human form. It's put into a non-human form, which is a tremendously difficult experience for the soul. That they, therefore, or not the whole soul, but those sparks of the soul, which cannot fulfill its purpose or its mission, achieve its mission, that challenge and pain itself, like we spoke last week about Gehenna, actually purifies it and purges it and cleanses it through this, I would call it a negative process. I don't want to harp on this. I don't want to go too, too far on this because it is a, a, a non-normative conversation and idea, but it is, um, it is really important to understand that it is possible and it happens that a soul having or soul sparks having been here four times and not at all being touched would then have an experience of purging in an, exi in an exilic exile, in an exile form in a non-human body. Does that make sense? Even sort of? Yes? Okay. All right. We are close to the time. And when I say close, yeah, we're right about there, 930. So I want to share a one or two quick insights, wrap everything together. There's so much to talk about. We could do three, four hours on this topic and not even get, you know, you know, past uh, and, and still have more to talk about. A few quick things. So we spoke about souls and reincarnation and variations of reincarnation. The last thing I want to mention. So who was I? 
Kabbalah says that all of our souls are reincarnated souls. We are not one of the original, we're not the original one. <laughs> we're not Adam. We're not the original 12. We're not, we're not the 12 tribes. We're not the original 70. We're not the original 600,000. You and I are reincarnated souls. Branches of branches of branches. We are the branches. And if you're wondering how could there be so many branches if it's only three times, I already answered that before. I said it's only three if there hasn't been any progress. Remember I said that? I clearly said that. If there's progress, you got more than three. So if you're wondering how there are more than three generations after the 600,000, that's your answer. Now, now, um, so we're all reincarnated souls. Can we know the story, the origin story? Every good barbecue sauce I've noticed, every barbecue sauce on the shelf has an origin story. In 1864, Farmer Bob tripped over bubbling thing. It would turn out to be barbecue sauce. It was the best that won awards, right? Every, it's always, I, I, I like barbecue sauce. I love, I go straight. If it's got a good origin story, I'm buying it. I'm, I'm being completely honest here. It's not even a joke. Um, all right, back to our story. Maybe a little bit of a joke, but also. So do we know, sorry, can we know the origin story of our souls? Can we figure it out? And if not, why? If yes, why? What's the story with knowing what came before? Wouldn't it be great to know those 113 sparks that we need to hit so we can focus on them? Wouldn't it be amazing if it's maybe only five so we can allocate our energies appropriately? That would be helpful, right? We don't know. We don't know. Kabbalists, soul seers, know. And there are stories of tell tzaddikim, Kabbalists, telling people, guiding them through the process. But even if we don't know, and there's a reason why we don't know, right? There are reasons why we don't know. That information could be also too big for most of us to handle in a healthy way. I mean, think about it, right? It's, it's a lot of insight to carry. But there are ways in which we can almost know or in which we're guided to that knowledge, even if it's not direct, but also indirect. I'm going to share with you another Kabbalistic text from the Ramak, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero. This is super, super powerful. All right, here we go. The Ramak text 10. It is impossible to deduce or intuit whether one possesses a reincarnated soul or not unless one is the recipient of a mystical communication in this regard. You may wonder, how then will we know the purpose? Listen to this. How then will we know the purpose, i.e. primary purpose, for which we enter this world, which mitzvah we must scrupulously perform or which transgression we must especially avoid? Listen to this. The answers are naturally ingrained within us. We experience natural affinity and longing to perform a certain mitzvah when that mitzvah is critical to our present incarnation or our inclination strives especially hard to entice us to commit a particular sin for it is the very same sin in which we blundered during our previous life. That Rabbi Moshe Kodavero, the Ramak says, simple, you want to know your story? Look what's going on right now. What are you drawn toward mitzvah-wise? What are you drawn toward transgression-wise, right? Right? What mitzvah do you feel passionate about? That's your go-to mitzvah. Jump on that opportunity. That's your spark. Primary sparks. Number two, what you find most challenging. That's what was left unfulfilled in the previous lifetime. So it's wherever there's a lot of energy, whether toward or against, if there's a strong force, whether for or against, positive or negative, that's a sign that's connected with us and our mission. It's in your text. 
It's text 11. I'm not going to read it. It's too long. Or it's long. We don't have time. I'm going to summarize. Somebody w- wrote a letter to Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was a tzaddik and a mystic. And he said, I'm struggling with my relationship with my wife and challenges, shalom bayi, peace at home. And the Rebbe basically tells him, yeah, basically tells him that your soul was reincarnated for that very purpose. Don't give up. Work on it. Make it work. This is the reason why your soul, the, re- the, the reason why you find it challenging is because that is, those are the sparks, some of the sparks that were unfulfilled before so, so that should be an encouragement to work hard. To the, listen, there's no guarantees, but to work as hard as you can to, uh, to, to try to, um, to, uh, to, to have a better, a better path in that area. So again, just an application of that where we find the challenge, it means there's tremendous opportunity. So we've come, I'm going to make a reincarnation joke. See, I don't usually tell you that. You usually have to guess, but in the interest of time. So we've come now full circle, right? We've come full circle to how we started the class, we're now back around to where we started, right? God leads us to our sparks. God puts opportunities in our way, in front of us. God leads us through our interests, our likes and dislikes, to point us in the direction of where we need to go. If we find a type of person or a type of scenario recurring in our lives. You know, people say like they keep on dating the same type of person or keep on encountering the same challenging circumstances. That's probably a sign. Hold on, let me, let me mute that for a second. So that's probably a sign. It's probably a sign. Again, I'm not, I, I can't say definitively, but that might, I should say, that maybe may more tentatively, that might be a sign that that's part of our soul's mission right now, right here and now. So we should pay attention to those signs. So now we can come full circle and answer all seven questions that we asked at the beginning of the class. And I want to say these very quickly. Number one, is reincarnation a basic Jewish belief? Yes, absolutely. Is reincarnation when a soul comes back in a new body? No. Souls don't come back. Souls graft and generate new souls that carry on a mission from a previous soul, but souls don't come back. Because otherwise, when would the soul ever find rest? And as was mentioned before, when would it ever connect with the souls that it has relationships with. The soul doesn't come back. The soul generates another soul. Another example, if you want to think about it, picture it. Take a candle that's lit and light another candle. So now you have two candles that are lit. Is the first candle still lit? If you've done it right, yes. So a soul generates a new soul that carries on its mission, that carries the torch forward, but it doesn't disappear in the process. It remains in its space. I hope that analogy helps understand how uh, the original soul remains where it is in paradise and connected with God and its other relationships even as it generates a new soul to carry on some of its legacy and its missing missing opportunities. So, does the soul come back in a new body? Not the soul. A new soul in a new body, but not the soul. Can a human soul be reincarnated in a non-human form? Yes but that's a rare and, and, and fringe or extreme situation. Does a reincarnated soul have its own identity? Yes, its own identity. Um, uh, oh, do we believe that when we do good or that we do good in order to be reincarnated as a higher form of being? No, we don't believe that, that we're reincarnated to higher forms of being. Reincarnation is only to, to, uh, to fulfill unfulfilled potential. Is reincarnation a punishment? It's not a punishment. On the contrary, it's a gift. It's an opportunity, right? It's like, you know, a loved one or a friend goes on vacation to San Francisco and tells you how much fun they had, but, but they missed out on that opportunity on, on, on a cer- certain sites. And then you surprise them for the birthday with tickets 
to go again. Is that a punishment? No, it's a gift. You're giving a gift of more opportunities and more chance to be fulfilled. That's a positive thing. It's not a punishment. It's an opportunity. Are most souls today reincarnated? The answer is yes. We've studied a lot about reincarnation today. We talked about the interconnectedness of souls, spiritual missions, unfulfilled potential, soul sparks, grafting new souls, appending souls to existing souls, reincarnated in non-human forms. We spoke about so many different topics and related topics to reincarnation. All of it paints a pretty, I hope, pretty comprehensive and powerful picture of the Jewish notion of reincarnation and directly addresses the concerns that we might have had with reincarnation that we stated. I asked you before, do you like reincarnation or does it bother you? And some of the reasons that were stated were, you know, or, or some that we might conjure up. I don't know if they were stated or if they're only in my head, um, but either way, you know, is it nice to carry someone else's baggage around? It's not someone else's baggage, right? We are a new soul with our own identity, but we also have, there's, a, there's an urgency of mission that helps not only us, but also all of history and really all of the cosmic reality. Because when we are refined, when we, are, when we realize our potential, we help others realize their potential and the world realizes its potential. Along with that, along with helping others realize their potential, we have our own identity, which means that I should tell myself, think I have a unique mission that is tied to my unique soul DNA. I am not meaningless, I am necessary. The world, whether implicitly or explicitly, tells us you don't really matter, right? The world is so big, the world is so vast, you're just one of how many billions of people, you don't really matter. Judaism teaches us that we do matter. And what we matters matters not only to us, but to others. And not only to us and others, but to the world. And not only us, to, not only us others in the world, but to all of history and to God. What we do matters, which should not frighten us. It should empower us. Just ask Viktor Frankl, right, about the power of feeling that you have meaning in your life. That is the key to getting up in the morning, to know that you are needed, not just wanted, not just loved, but absolutely needed. You are needed. You're not unnecessary. You and I are necessary. So here's the meditation from tonight's class that we can think about as we are here. We don't have to wait till any reincarnations. Right now, right here now. I am important. I matter. In a world that so often discounts the value of the individual, this is so powerful. May we indeed live with this knowledge and be inspired by this wisdom. And may we continue to live with the passion that's born of the knowledge of our purpose. And may we indeed raise all the sparks that we need to raise and let us say, Amen. Thank you for joining me tonight for lesson number five. I know there are still questions. And that's why I'm taking all unanswered questions from tonight, rolling it into a brand new class for next week, like reincarnation. I'm kidding, but you see how that would work, right? Questions that are still unfulfilled, we would roll into perhaps or append to an existing class if we didn't need to create a new class. Yeah, it's not such a foreign concept. I'm just saying we all, we all can think of examples about how to do that. Um, one example that I've given in previous classes, like remember, I think it was called Singular or at t they used to have rollover minutes. If you didn't use all your minutes from one month, you could roll it into the next month, kind of like that. Unfulfilled minutes, you can roll into unfulfilled potential, opportunity to utilize and embrace it. Next week, on a serious note, the topic, the, the title of the class is Life is Short-ish.
So this, is, this will be our epic conclusion. By now we've come, we've come to appreciate death as the next phase in our ongoing mission. But what can death tell us about our experiences right now? Next week we'll, learn, we'll use what we learned so far to revisit our priorities and to help us fill each moment with significance. Plus, we will learn Judaism's radical position on the future of eternal life, eternal physical life. You don't want to miss this. Same bat time, same bat channel. I want to officially close out tonight's class. Thank you for joining. See you next week. Have a wonderful week. Purim Sameach, Afrelch and Purim. Have a wonderful Yamtif, and we will see you soon. But don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. That's how I end the class for the recording. But for you and me, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. So, questions, comments. Oh, but before we do that, if anyone has to go, thanks for joining. We'll see you next time. If you can stay and you have questions, stick around. I want to make a few quick announcements. Number one, we have a course starting next week. Next, I want to say Monday night. Yeah, next Monday night. It's called Kabbalah of the Future. This is literally science, what sounds like science fiction, through the lens of Kabbalah. So time travel, teleportation, regeneration of body, which kind of is related to next week's topic about eternal physical life, right? Reversing aging, etc. So time, space, and body. Three things that seem to be set in a certain path, and it is what it is. How can we bend the rules? How does science think about bending the rules? And how does it speak to themes in Kabbalah? This is going to be an unforgettable two-part session. Kabbalah of the future, beginning next Monday, March 1st, and the Monday after that, March 8th, with Rabbi Usher Crisp. He's an incredible scholar. You don't want to miss this. All happening next Monday. Um, finally, I will mention we have an event, an incredible opportunity. David Lazan's mom, Marion Blumenthal Lazan, is going to be speaking for our community, sharing her story of survival and triumph amidst the horrors of the Holocaust. She will be sharing her story of survival March 14th. It's a Sunday evening. Join us. It's going to be a moment of history and, and bearing testimony and witness for all of us. So please join. You can find out all the information about these events and others in town, jewishacademy.org, including a brand new event that just went up today, Paint Night with the Jewish Bob Ross. So look at all of that and join us for all of the above. And now on to the questions. All right, jump right in, please. I have a question about non-Jewish souls. Okay, yes. So... Everything, everything applies. Everything we said tonight applies. Jewish, I've said, I've said this many, many times in many different contexts. Jewish sources that are speaking to their constituency, so to speak, frame conversations in a Jewish context. So when we talk about mission and purpose, it's framed as Torah, 613 mitzvot in Torah. But for every soul, it would be about acts of goodness and kindness and about making the world a better place, whether it's 613 mitzvot or seven mitzvot or 10 commandments, whatever it is, it's all about the core, the core is the same, you know, there are variances, but the core is the same. Every soul has its mission, and every soul that is not fulfilled, that does not fulfill its mission, has an opportunity for those, those elements to be reincarnated. So yeah, everything applies across the board, 100%. I just wanted to tell our aid. 
No, I, I, it's not. A te- I, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a valid question, and it's, uh, I think it's an important, uh, important point to mention. Um, Janet, go ahead. Don't forget to unmute. Yeah. How is it decided which person should get the extra unfulfilled spark? Wow, that's a great question. Besides where it goes to me, to you, to Sylvia, how? That, you're asking the million-dollar question. That's an incredible question. I don't, so we could ask it on both levels of reincarnation, whether it's the typical full-blown generating a new soul reincarnation. So which soul and which body and which context, who decides? And when it's in the appendage, the, the soul pregnancy, right? The Ebra version, which host adult soul, which adult soul will be the host to these? These are excellent questions. I don't have the answer. I don't have, well, I don't have a definitive answer. My, my understanding, so this is not an answer, but it's the way I understand it, um, which is different. So I'm not telling you definitively, but the way my mind has thought about this is that God puts the soul, whether it's the new one or the appendage soul, so to speak, in the best position to be able to fulfill the unfulfilled. So... In the right kind, and by the way, that could mean the challenge. That could mean that could mean a challenging circumstance, right? If this, as we said before from the Ramak, right, because it's either what we're drawn toward or what we find particularly challenging, that both are signs, look here, look here. That's the flashing arrow that says, look, 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 this could be it. This is probably it. So it's very possible that a soul that has not yet finished its mission. Right or, or that, that has areas that it still needs to complete, will come down in a situation that that's even more challenging as a sign, look here. And, and then you might wonder, well, that's not fair, right? Because why would God, if it's unfulfilled and it, it's really important that it be fulfilled for the soul and for its own completion, why would it be put in a situation that almost feels like it mean, it's harder to do? But again, that's a sign to work harder in that area. It's kind of like... Um, you know, we work hard in the areas that we might not initially be strong in, and that builds an even stronger strength. For some reason, I'm well. For some reason, I'm failing to think of the simple analogies right now. You know, things which previously were a deficiency, so to speak, but eventually become a strength. You know, one simple example. It's going to come out of left field, but but work with me on this. It's brought down in Kabbalah. When you when you have a string, when you have a string, and you um, and you cut it. And you then knot the two sides together, so in the place of the weakness, it now becomes stronger, it's now doubled. Now, you might say, well, it's always going to be weak because it's retied. I don't know. I'm just saying, according to Kabbalah, it says that it's the, 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 the rope, the knot is thicker in the place where it was previously compromised. So the, the fact that the soul might be placed in a bit of a, a challenging situation could actually be ultimately to, for its benefit, but, but ultimately for that completion of its mission. I hope that makes sense. But I, that's part of the divine mission orchestration. That's part of the, the larger picture where that's where God pulls the strings and only God knows why those strings are exactly pulled. But these are, this is my understanding of it. But I would never say about it any specific scenario, as I said before, I would never say, oh, that situation, it must be because that soul had that challenge. That's beyond my pay grade. The Rebbe writes that in the letter to the person that was going through some challenge in the, in the relationship, in their marital relationship. A Rebbe can write that, right? A tzaddik can write that, can, can, can express that 
I'm just telling you what it says and as a general framework. How we apply it, we're not certainly not meant to apply it to anybody else. It's really only for ourselves, and hopefully it's inspiring for us to do, to do good things. All right, but excellent question. Let's go with Howard. Jump in. Rabbi, what <laughs> is the relationship between a deja vu experience and reincarnation? Excellent. As Yogi Berra once said, I think, right? It's deja vu all over again, right? Or something like that. Um, deja vu is a, it's a really good question. Deja vu, I don't believe, is directly connected with reincarnation, with a previous lifetime. Although, it, I don't know. It's a good question. I, I don't have, I don't have an, an, an immediate answer. I feel like I have explored Kabbalah on deja vu before. But in the moment right now, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't recall exactly what it is, so I don't, I don't want to speculate if I don't have, have that clarity. Um, my sense, my recollection is that it might not be necessarily reincarnation. It might be another factor, but I don't know. I, I would have to look it up. I'm going to try to look up something and hopefully next week pick up the spark that you have raised and that has been unfulfilled with my response. And... Um, Hopefully pick it up next week. We can append it to next week's class. Sylvia, yeah. This is completely not positive, but negative. Okay. You mentioned that there's an original soul and then three reincarnations. Right. And that's a failure. At that point, whomever comes back is going to live pretty much a cursed life because they're going to be an animal. But, but, but remember, it's not, it's, not a, a, it's not a very long lifespan. I mean, the assumption is that it's in something that is more of a... It's not like a human lifespan, 120 years, please God, right? It's, it's more of like a plant that might come and go very quickly or some other type of creature that would have, hopefully it's not prolonged is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right. But it's really, it's given to somebody selected to be this animal. I mean, that animal is not any of the four people that lived before. Right. Four souls that lived. Right. So, just, so you're asking an excellent question. Um, I, I wouldn't, so a few things, a few things, because you, you're, you're asking, a, a ver, you're pointing out and asking a very, a very good question, and it's a, very, it's a very good discussion. So number one, you're right. After three times, the nature, the approach changes a little bit. Instead of it's an opportunity, it's a blessing, it's now the soul on some level, or at least these sparks need, are, are I'm, I'm not the one determining it, but this is what it says, the soul now is going to face a little bit of, um, of discomfort, and that is going to somehow polish it. I guess you could polish it the nice way or the harsh way, and this would be the harsh way, but you're right. It does shift. The energy shifts after that, that third time. So that is, so you are correct. So that's point number one. Point number two, it's not a punishment to the animal or the plant or the rock or whatever. It is a, it is, it would be otherwise oblivious to that human soul that has reincarnated into it. Because it's so um, incongruent with what it is, it's not operating in a, uh, in, a, um, in a close, direct, interactive fashion. Right? Usually souls and bodies, they work like hand and glove. This is so completely foreign to a human soul it's like plugging a battery. I'm just trying to think of an example. It's like plugging the wrong battery into the device. 
it's not turning on. It's not, it doesn't harm it. It doesn't help it. It's just, it's just there. And the device on this level, spiritually, might not even know it's there. So it would be, to- it's totally on a different frequency. It doesn't, it doesn't relate to it. But for the soul, it's displaced. It is displaced. It's blackened soul, because you said there was no light and no sparks in those, in the original plus the three following reincarnations. So it's a black soul. It's a, it's, it's an un, it's an unrealized soul spark potential. Correct. In its current state, it's not lit up. You are correct. It's, it's unfulfilled. There's still potential, but it's unfulfilled. And on some level, the way to do, the way to somehow make progress is through, I don't know if there's any other way to say it other than a negative experience. It's kind of like, how do you motivate people, right? So the best way to motivate is through positive encouragement. But sometimes, like we said about Gehinnom, which I referenced in, in this context, sometimes the way you motivate is by bringing to the, to the attention the lack, right? The, the disappointment. And that could, that, so you can motivate someone to sell more, right? Through incentives and like encouragement. And if you sell more, you'll get this reward or that reward. Or, I mean, I, I hate speaking the negative. Or through negative means. This would be a negative form, so to speak. It, it's... Yeah, but again, I want to be very clear here. This is not a normative path. Normally, in, in, in like the vast, at least the way it's explained in Kabbalah, vast, vast, vast majority of situations, there is progress being made. Even if it's not 100% after the first three reincarnations, right, the fourth time. Even if it's not 80%, as long as it's 1%, as long as there's any movement, it can still keep on going, right? Progress, not perfection necessarily right away. But if there's no progress after three, then it, I'll give you an example that says in Kabbalah. And maybe this is going to be, you know, contextualize it. It says when you're trying to light wood on fire, you have a big log and it's, the fire is not, catch, it's not catching on. There's only one solution. You have to chop up the wood. You have to break up the wood into small, splinter into small pieces, right? Because it's too big. It's too big to catch on fire. You have to, to take an axe and start hacking it, start, uh, start breaking it up into smaller pieces. And it says, in the, I think it's Zohar, Tukuni Zohar, it says, Kabbalah, it says that the same thing is true with a person. When a, and this is not reincarnation, but this is about you and I in our own experiences. When we feel like, we, like the soul, our soul is dulled and it, we're, not, we're not feeling inspired spiritually, it just means that we're a little bit too coarse. We have to, our, to ourselves, we have to somehow... Yeah, like somehow, like our, like cut, not cut ourselves, but um, uh, um, uh, take our ego down or, or, you know, break ourselves open, right? So like, like the Katsuka Rebbe once said, there, there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. Or as um, Leonard Cohen said, right? There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in, right? It's the cracks, right? It's those cracks that allow light to get in. So it's about the wood being cracked open to allow the fire to catch. And it's about the soul sparks maybe having an experience of, of, of breaking discomfort in order to allow it to finally somehow become lit in a, in, a, um, in a roundabout way. All right. But yeah, thank you for asking that. Let's go to, oh, yes, Richard, you had your hand up before and, and yeah, we weren't able to get to it. A lot of information. I, I, I'm a little bit confused. I want to try to summarize for my for my own selfish sake. I'm not here 
for Richard's mission. I'm here for a larger mission, a mission of 613. Is that is that correct? I'm not here for my own self-mission. Richard is just a part of, of a conglomerate of, of the total mission of 613. Is, is that I, I would I would uh, modify it and say that your mission is the 613 mission. In other words, well, the question is, who are you, right? Yeah. Are you on? Are you lying down on a couch? Because we can do this, like formally. I'm kidding. No, the question is, who are you, right? Are, are, do, uh, so, do we identify as a body or as a soul? If we identify as a soul, then yeah, that mission of six thirteen is who I am. But within the six thirteen, we all have, we all have, a full mission. We got the full, full slate, uh, the full no, not slate, but the full array of mission. 613 commandments, the whole Torah to explore. We got everything. The, the, the opportunities are endless and the potential is endless. But, and here's the kicker from tonight's class, but there are certain mitzvot, right? All mitzvot are created equal, but some are more equal than others, right? So there are some mitzvot that are even more critical that we do. And those are the ones that are more challenging or more attractive to us. The ones that are harder or easier are the ones that we need to focus on. Well, we should focus on all of them, right? But those are the ones that we should particularly focus on because that will speak to our true fulfillment of mission. It's kind of like when you're building a house and you got a team of people building a house. So everyone's building a house together, but one person is doing the this and one person is doing the that. I've never built a house, so I'm, that's why I'm doing this, this thing and that thing. But one person is putting up the walls and the roof and the like. Everyone's doing something else. So we're all doing everything. But some of us are meant to excel in certain areas. We're not all the same. We share a collective mission and our, and our individual actions affect everyone here, the whole world, and all of history, all of the branches in the tree, before us. I don't know how to end that sentence. I'm not sure where that ends. But yeah, that's... I'm part of a bigger mission. You are part of a bigger mission. But that is also your mission. You're part, it's your mission and a bigger mission. Okay, so two other quick, real quick things. The impregnated soul. Yes. Mazel tov, I had no idea. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, you're welcome. Uh, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> you said I had leverage. Now, does that mean that that attached soul drives the other soul to completion of those? Is it a drive? I don't know if it drives it or if it's, if, if it's there waiting for the opportunity that will naturally come to that soul in that context. In other words, in the context that it, it already exists. So let's say, whatever, let's say it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very unique mitzvah opportunity that not everyone has. This soul in this body has, based on its circumstances, has that opportunity. Boom, this soul, like a, I'm giving you a, um, a Madden, what was his name? What was, for, what was Madden? What? The crazy too. Yeah, what was his first name? John Madden. John, John Madden, boom, right? So it goes, the soul goes, boom, right in there, and that's it. Boom shakalaka. Now, does that uh, does the does that soul now hijack the bo- hijack the other soul and grab the steering wheel? That's your question. I don't think it does. I think it has. It's there and it has the opportunity. And I think now there's two energies. Maybe it's like pregnancy. On one level, you know, the mother is still the mother. Another level, there's another energy there. I, I don't know to what extent it influences and overwhelms or influences subtly. 
I don't know. I don't know the, the I don't know the ratio there. But so there's certain. Quickly, real quick. Does it depart through death, or does it just depart where it's? No, going? no. It departs upon completion. As soon as that mitzvah is done, it's able to separate because that's all it needed. Whereas when, it, but but here's why: because when it generates a new soul, there's no way to separate that out. It's now a new soul. There's no there's no going back. Are you with me on that? It, when it creates a new soul from scratch. That's it. It's now it's in for the for the long haul. This never created a new soul. This just okay. appended to it, so it pulls out as soon as it's done. Yeah. We had a question from Mindy. Rabbi, Rabbi. One second, Mindy, go ahead. Um, the the portion of the soul that goes into the animal for that last yeah. period of time. I'm just wondering, or if you have any insight on this, whether. It could be possible that it's going into like service dogs, like seeing eye dogs for, for blind people or something really special. Like some dogs you have as pets that you just know they have this human connection to you or like a service dog that is there to save someone's life. I mean, that dog has a purpose to detect if someone's going to have a seizure or, de- or right. help a blind person walk. or There's there's dogs that have very high purposes, yeah. like service dogs. And I, maybe it's just a thought that crossed my mind that maybe that partial soul is going into that kind of an animal. It's a great question. It's a great question. I can't say definitively no, but based on the Kabbalah that I've studied and what we presented tonight, it seems like that's not likely what's going on. It seems like what's likely going on is that this is a very special animal soul for this animal and it's doing incredible things as opposed to being influenced in this noble way by the soul sparks that need to be rectified by being exiled it does not seem like that would would drive that does that make sense what i'm saying the purpose of this form of reincarnation in a non-human form is in order for that soul sorry for those soul sparks to be challenged and exiled and through that process like we said before, be broken down a little bit to find its light in a, in a, in a, in a not positive way. Does that drive, sorry? Is it like a punishment? I've been trying to avoid that. It's more like a cleansing, like, a, like a, an abrasive cleansing, like we spoke about Gehinnom last week, purgatory. So it's, it's not Animal soul, like a service dog or police dog or some dog that has a high mission. I can't say definitively unless unless I had that vision and could look at a specific scenario and tell you exactly what's going on. I can't say no, but what I can tell you, right? Because you're asking this, but I, what I can tell you is the way Kabbalah describes reincarnation into non-human forms, including animal. It's not for that purpose or done in that way. It's more of an exile, which is meant to break the soul, not break it, but meant to refine it through a, a rougher experience than, no pun intended, rough, than, than, than the positive. Now, very important, I choose personally, right? So there's what, I, there's what I can tell you, what it says in the sources, and I try to be as transparent as possible. This is not me. These are not my explanations. These are brought down on Kabbalah and Jewish thought, and all the sources are there. You can look it up for yourself and go back to the original sources. It's all available online, uh, whether in Hebrew, English, Aramaic, whatever. But here's my feeling on the matter. I'm not saying this is correct. This is my feeling on the matter, and I told you my feeling before. I choose to believe, or I believe, based on what I've learned and, and just my understanding of it, 
is that when an animal is being noble, it's the animal that's being noble. It's not being driven by a human force that was then exiled into it. Let's give the animal some credit, right? Why not? So why, 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 can't it be a, why can't it be a righteous animal, right? Why, why does it have to be a, a displaced soul or a soul that hasn't done any movement for, the, for, four, for four rounds that then it's become... It, can I rule it out? Is it possible that if it didn't find completion or, or fulfillment in human form, maybe it's given a shot as an animal to fulfill its mission and saving a life now as an animal? It makes sense what you're saying. I understand exactly what you're saying, but I don't see it in the sources. So that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to, to say, yeah, that's what's happening. I'm more inclined to say that may not, may not be what it's ha- what, what's happening. So Are those human soul sparks aware that yes, they're in an animal? Yes, 100%. It, oh, 100%. So it's trapped. It's 100%. Trapped in an animal or I mean, an God forbid, or... God forbid, right? I, I'm using an extreme example, and I, and I apologize to myself and to, all, to everyone and to everyone listening for all time because these are recorded. I apologize for using a very harsh example. I'm going to use a harsh example. Yeah? Someone who, God forbid, has ALS. Where their mind is functioning and they're fully aware they can't move their body. There's a Chabad rabbi in California, as many of you know, Rabbi Yitzhi Horowitz, who has been suffering for several years now with ALS. And all that's left for him to be able to communicate uh, in addition to his emotions and his soul, which, which radiates from, he's an absolutely incredible human being. Uh, just, just incredible human being. He's able to communicate with his eyes. They have technology where they have a screen that reads the eyes, where the eye is looking. He's able to communicate by looking one letter at a time. He, as last time I checked, he was still doing this, writing a weekly essay on the Torah portion every single week on a blog, on a website that's, that's available for anybody to subscribe to and, and whatever. He's an incredible individual. But again, think about, I mean, don't think about it. It's horrific to think about being trapped, right? With your mind working completely and being completely aware of everything and wanting to move, wanting to smile, wanting to hug, wanting to talk, wanting, 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 and the body just doesn't move, right? The, 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 the container doesn't allow it to express itself physically. That, to me, that's some way of, of understanding perhaps what this, the human soul feels like in a non-human body. To me, that's not, and this is the way Kabbalah explains it. It's exiled. Exile means it can't function in that environment. When I say function, it doesn't mean it's not there. It's there, but it can't function in that environment. Which is why I'm hesitant to say that the guide dog is being driven by the human soul that's trying to, you know, help other humans or save a life. I don't, I don't believe so, based on Kabbalah, not based, right, based on my understanding of Kabbalah. It's, 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 on the, it's, a, it's being trapped in that, in that situation. It's an incredibly difficult position for the soul. Incredibly difficult. Not, not the whole soul, but for those sparks, incredibly difficult incredibly difficult. Again, the way that my mind, the, the, the parallel that I can think of is, is with regard to this horrific um, physical ailment and, 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 and the fact that, uh, and, and how trapped and suffocating that could, that could be. Um, Ray, yeah, go ahead. Um, 
at, at one point, um, you were asked a question about a husband and wife neshama. So, um, when one person has passed away, and then the other person passes away, I think you said something about if there's a love relationship on earth, there'll be... So how does that relate to the soul? What do you mean? How does it relate to the soul? I mean, is that going to be forever? So, say, I will meet my husband's neshama, and together will be one neshama? Yeah, remember, so this is, and thank you for asking this question because I feel like this is a, a very important piece of the broader conversation and it's really important if we can like really have an understanding of this. Souls are not temporary beings and the true accomplishments, right? Not the sushi we ate last Tuesday, right? Um, but the true accomplishments and, the, and, and the, 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 the true accomplishments of the soul are not temporal. They are forever. Relationships, soul relationships, deep soul relationships, the spiritual part of it, right, the deep and meaningful part of it is absolutely eternal. Whether it's us here with the soul on the other side or whether it's two souls on the other side. No one's going anywhere. So somebody asked me, you know, when we talk about souls ascending, which I did last week, right? Souls ascending higher and higher. Oh no, what if one soul accelerates faster than the other soul? My response was, and it's hard to articulate, I, try, I wrote it up in an email, but it's hard to write in an email. The response was, the soul doesn't go anywhere. When we say souls ascend, they're not moving anywhere. They're not actually moving. I hope that's clear that a soul is not a physical thing that moves higher or lower physically. The problem with language is that the language that we have is created and speaks to physical experiences. So how do we speak about spiritual realities that aren't physical? By using physical terms, but hoping that all of us are on the same page to understand that we don't mean it literally. When we talk about the soul ascending higher, no. The soul is not actually getting in an elevator or flying up on wings to a higher state. And, oh no, don't go. Like, that's not what's going on. When we say a soul ascends, it's an awareness. Ask you a question. In a human relationship, right? Can love grow and deepen as time goes by? Sure, right? Can love grow? Can love deepen? Right? So you, you know somebody a little bit. You get to know them. You get to know them more. You like them more, right? And over the years, think about two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Steve... Steve was on before. I don't see Steve now. Steve's dad, right? Passed away last week. Steve's dad, Steve's dad, Murray, joined us for the first few sessions of this course. And he spoke. All of us heard him speak. The first few sessions. He passed away last week. Um, Steve's parents were married, he told me, 67 years. Wow. 67 years. It's like a lifetime. It's like a full lifetime. 67 years. And here's my point. Love deepens and love grows. It's not static, right? So the love grows deeper. Does that mean that the people are physically climbing stairs? Floating? They're not floating. It's deepening. So when we say that the soul ascends, what it means is that in its relationship with God, 
it's becoming closer. Does that mean that its relationship with its loved one, uh, they, they fall behind? Why? What's the connection? Right? Just because a soul ascends closer to God doesn't mean that it's leaving a loved one. I hope that makes sense because there's no physical movement here. It's just growing closer to God and probably growing, growing closer to its, 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 its beloved other souls as well at the same time. So ascending, souls ascending, it's not a physical thing. It's not a spatial thing. It's a conceptual thing. Anyway, I hope that makes sense. So yeah, your question is, how long do souls know each other? How long do they, do they relate to each other? The answer is that doesn't end, right? It didn't end when, a, when one soul left the body. It doesn't end when two souls have left their body, bodies. So the, the connection is there. The soul, the soul is, the soul is connected with God. It's connected with those that it loves, that it's connected with. And, and these eternal realities, spiritual eternal realities, don't ever, um, don't ever get lost. But thank you for asking that because it's really important to clarify. All right. I think we are, yeah, I think it's, it's getting late. And, um, I, Can I ask more quick questions? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So you mentioned that some soul spark um, might go back if, like, Gehenna doesn't help fix them. So, like, what, what would be an example of that situation? Is it, like, somebody who, like, maybe stole something in life and, like, now they went to Gehenna and they realized it was wrong and they just want to live a life without stealing? Like, what's you're, the, a, you're asking an excellent question. And just to explain to everybody, uh, which I, it's, you're asking a very important question. And I'm going to tell you what it says in the books. I'm going to use an example Again, it's a harsh example, but it's, it's brought down in the sources. So this is not my example. This is an original example. Um, okay, but let me explain your question. Your question is, we said before that I mentioned it, and thank you for, for picking up on this. I said that um, when the soul has things that it did that weren't uh, so great, so there's two ways that that can be polished up. Not the missed opportunities, but the stuff that it did that might have damaged something. So either... Gehinnom, like we spoke about last week, the process of purgatory kind of brings that to the surface and washes it away, or those sparks need to come back. So your question is, well, what determines what resolution? Like, is it a flip of the coin? Who flips the coin? Like, how do, like when would it just go through Gehinnom and continue on its way, or when would it come back as part of a newly grafted soul? Excellent question. I'm going to give you the example that's brought in the sources. It says, for certain illnesses or diseases, physical, so the body can be treated. But certain ones, when the illness or infection is so deep, there needs to be amputation. So meaning it depends on the severity of the damage, so to speak, that was done to that soul spark. If it's just something that can be healed, then purgatory Gehenna heals. If it's something that's more severe, then that soul spark actually has to be not cut off, but kind of cut off from that original soul and sent back down into, or, or reincarnated then, at least grafted into a new soul. It's not, an, it's not a precise example, obviously. It's not literally amputation, soul amputation. But it's kind, it kind of highlights, again, it's brought down in the sources, and it kind of highlights the distinction between various severities of malignment, if you will, of the soul sparks. Does that make sense? Does that address your question, sort of? 
I think it does. So, like, you know, mid-level crimes, you know, who knows what will happen to them. But, like, right. someone real bad, like, you know, Hitler-style, they'd probably have to get... Well, yeah, you mentioned Hitler. That could be its own... That, that would be a, a, its own conversation. And there are, ex, there are exceptions to all of the rules that we've stated. And I've been avoiding mentioning that. But if you mentioned it, might as well say it. There are exceptions. The Talmud brings exceptions of individuals that don't follow the normative path of Gehinnom and 12 months and then paradise and reincarnation and then, and then, and then you know, continue the journey with paradise. There are exceptions to the rule. And who determines that? I don't determine that, but the Talmud talks about it. But we don't have time to jump into that now. Sorry for the cliffhanger, but we just don't have time to get into it. But, in, in, but even without that extreme example, there's certain, look, we're talking about soul potential, soul sparks, you know, being lit up or not lit up. So there's missed opportunities, and then there's ones that we actually damage. We broke a bulb. Sometimes it can be fixed. Sometimes it needs... Sometimes it can be refurbished. You know, like if metal, you know, jewelry or something um, is damaged, so sometimes you can, you know, like silver. You have a silver um, wine goblet, and it gets out of shape or whatever. Sometimes, you know, a silversmith can, can kind of fix it. Sometimes you got to melt it down and start again. What determines what? The experts know. But it's about severity. I, I, I can't draw the line. I, don't, I have no idea where that line is precisely in, in specific examples. But there is a line. And one side is the normative, you know, just Gehenna and purgatory cleansing. And the other line is, you know, a good wash. And the other line is, you, you, we got we to gotta do this. We got to generate a new soul. All right. That is going to be it for me for tonight. Um, it's been great. It's been, it's been wonderful to see everybody and to explore these topics. There's so much more to talk about, and I look forward to continuing the conversation next week. All right, and if you have questions, call me, text me, email me, and I'll do my best. All right, Lila Tov, good night, everybody. See you soon. Lots of blessings. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye, Mom. Bye, everybody else.